0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in Economics, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm Tim Jones and I'm joined today by Gerald Epstein, the author of What's Wrong with Money Theory, Modern Money Theory, a policy critique published last summer by Palgrave Macmillan. For a decade now, modern money theory or modern monetary theory, let's call it MMT from here, has been gaining followers on the political left and amassing a growing number of books, most recently Stephanie Kelton's Deficit Myth. But in the wake of the extraordinary monetary policy response to the COVID-19 pandemic, even some conservative figures appear to be at least MMT curious. The book we're discussing today, which was written by a progressive economist, warns us against MMT's seductive appeal. Professor Epstein received his PhD in economics from Princeton and now co directs the Political Economy Research Institute, or PERI, at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. The author of The Political Economy of Central Banking Contested Control and the Power of Finance, and the editor of The Financialization and the World Economy and The Political Economy of International Finance in an Age of Inequality, he's renowned in political economy and monetary policy scholarship. Jerry, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Tim. Um,
0: before we explore why exactly you chose to write this critique, uh, could you do two things first? First, mm-hmm. give us a fuller background on your career beyond what I've outlined. And given what we're about to discuss, explain what MMT is and how it differs from orthodox monetary theory.
1: Okay. Well, uh, you, you did pretty well on my background. I uh I uh, graduated from uh, uh, Princeton and economics, and I wrote my dissertation on the Federal Reserve. So I've been doing work right. on monetary policy and um, financial markets my whole career. Um, so I got interested in M- MMT because, as you said, it's been um, uh, c- catching on. Its, it's interests has been growing, and it's become uh, more relevant. Uh, so let me just say a word few words about what uh, MMT is. Um, MMT is part of a kind of post-Keynesian uh, tradition, which uh, derived from Keynes, but modernized in some ways. Um, looks at the uh, nature of the m- macroeconomy from the point of view of um, unemployment being a natural state in, in uh, the capitalist economy, unlike mainstream economics, which... Has always argued that there are natural forces that always bring about full employment uh, in the economy. So the issue of uh, uh, what to do about unemployment and how to uh, preserve full employment has always been a key issue uh, for Keynesians and post-Keynesians alike. Um, what modern monetary theory has been focusing on, though, is the issue of deficits and the and the monetary financing of deficits, um, and they've. Uh, taken kind of a, a position based on Abba Lerner's view of functional finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abba Lerner was a Keynesian economist written in the 1940s. And uh, he argued that the, the key purpose of macroeconomics, and including fiscal policy, that's taxation and, and spending, uh, is to bring about full employment. And the issues of financing public spending and the deficits and so forth are a secondary issue. Uh, and that the governments should 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 simply bring about whatever spending is necessary to to reach full employment, um, and, and then once they reach full employment, then there's a concern about well, might might if we go beyond that, might that cause inflation, and at that point worry about um, constraining the the deficit. But the deficit, according to Lerner, has no uh, independent impact, and so modern money theory built on that idea. Mm-hmm. And in addition uh, to that, they um, made the argument that monetary financing in most banking systems and most uh, systems of central banking happens automatically through the, through the central bank's interactions with the, with the private banks. And so there's more or less automatic monetary financing of deficits, and that's a good thing. So deficits don't matter until we have full employment, and monetary financing of deficits uh, is a natural process, and that uh, doesn't really matter until we get full employment. Um, and then they argue that, uh, moreover, as as Keynes tended to argue, keeping interest rates permanently low, close to zero, in some of the MMT people's views, uh, is the best way to promote full employment. Um, and so this... This three-tiered kind of argument: one, that fiscal deficits uh, aren't in and of themselves important; two, monetary financing happens more or less automatically; and third, the central bank should keep interest rates almost, you know, permanently low uh, as the best policy. Uh, it makes up uh, the kind of macro policy aspect of MMT, which is what I'm concerned with.
0: And uh, how widespread would you say MMT is now in, in, the, in the macroeconomics faculty? I mean, from the outside, it appears to be still a minority interest. Is that, is that a fair assumption?
1: Yeah, it's still quite marginal in terms of, um, of the economics profession. But then post-Keynesianism, um, uh, all heterodox views are, are, are quite marginal within the economic profession. They, uh, the economics profession tries to keep all these views marginal Um, And MMT is uh, marginal within a marginal group, I would say. Um, Now, uh, I should point out, though, that MMT is not the only view within post-Keynesianism and Keynesian economists, who for a long time argued that there's been excess concern about fiscal deficits. Um, Many Keynesian economists have criticized austerity uh, going back 20, 30 years, the austerity measures of the Thatcher government, the austerity following the great financial crisis after some initial expansion. Um, they've criticized uh, deficit hawks. They've shown that they are my colleagues, Bob Poland, um, Michael Ash, uh, Tom Herndon, showed that the Reinhardt and Rogoff views that we fall off a fiscal cliff after 90% GDP, uh, debt to GDP ratio. They showed that that was wrong. So there's been a a lot of there's been a lot of criticism by heterodox economists of this deficit fetish of um, mainstream economics, Uh, but MMT uh, has tied this criticism to monetary financing um, and the argument that uh, interest rates should be kept low permanently, and um, the idea that this is uh, a more or less general should be a general feature of macroeconomic policy uh, in most places.
0: Yeah. I mean, as you say early in the book, um, you and uh, progressive or heterodox economists, the the argue, argument you've been making for several decades w- was more about um, if you are going to uh, have a deficit, you should have something on the other side of the ledger. Essentially, you should be looking for substantial uh, public investments so the future generations have an asset as well as a liability. Is That's that right? It, yeah. Is, is that the underlying reason for your, maybe frustration is too strong a word for, for your skepticism about this new approach?
1: Well, um, there I have a number of, of critiques of, of the MMT approach to macro policy. And what you said is certainly one of them, but let me try to step back. Um, so mm-hmm. what, what, one of, the, one of the arguments, uh, the that, critiques that I have of them is that, I, yes, as you said, their main focus is on maintaining full employment. And um, since they don't really think that deficits matter, uh, they don't particularly care about um, the constraints on the spending side and what governments spend their money on. Uh, whereas I think most uh, Keynesian economists who aren't MMT people, argue that uh, running um, excessive deficits uh, can be risky uh, we'll get back I think we should get back to the coronavirus situation a little bit later um, but that running them does bears uh, does create some kind of risk for for many governments and in fact is quite difficult for many other governments developing countries and so forth uh, we should get to that in a minute um, but but we should be concerned about what the, the money is spent on. And for MMT people, that seems to be a secondary or tertiary concern. So, yes, um, a, a big critique of government deficits is that we leave debt to our children and grandchildren. Um, now, first of all, of course, uh, countries like the United States uh, usually don't pay off their debt. They roll it over. Um, but, uh, but if debt gets, debt gets uh, too excessive, then yes, that does create risks for the, for countries like the United States and, and the European Union and the UK, et cetera. Um, it really does matter what's on the other side of the balance sheet, what we spend that money on. And if we just waste it by giving it away to rich people for, for uh, their consumption or spend excessively on military expenditure um, or uh, use it to... Uh, invest in fossil fuels that's gonna destroy the planet. All of these things matter, and they should be an important part um, of the conversation. So yes, what the money is spent on makes makes a big difference um, in my view, and, and the MMT people um, tend to underplay that. Um, number two, I argue that uh, this, this flexibility that uh, monetary financing provides and uh, the ability to run large deficits really is uh, a privilege of the large and rich countries. It's a privilege of countries, especially whose currencies are acceptable internationally. Um, The United States dollar is the key currency in the globe. So certainly the United States has this privilege. Um, The United Kingdom, to some extent, the European Union, Japan, increasingly China, uh, has this privilege where uh, they can... all. They book and borrow in their own currencies, and um, if they run up large debts and have to pay interest to foreigners, uh, as the United States does, uh, they can just continue to borrow from, from foreign foreigners uh, to pay their interest. So they can continue this game for quite a while and to a large extent. But if you're looking at uh, Mexico or Honduras or Chile or South Africa, um, you'll have to uh, borrow in foreign currencies who, or whose ability to... Borrow domestically is quite limited, uh, they can't play this game as to the same extent. So in South Africa, for example, MMT has begun to really take off as uh, on the left um, uh, among progressives who are saying, look, we have this economic crisis now in the COVID period and um, let's just have monetary financing of deficits and not worry about it. And unfortunately, the global financial markets and, and the bankers and the ratings agencies are going to worry about it. Um, and uh, what has already seen the, the South African RAN, ran tank, uh, the credit ratings go down, uh, they don't have the same flexibility. And um, the MMT uh, advocates and the MMT economists aren't as careful as they ought to be in describing what are the limits of the use of MMT in different countries.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, it, I, I noticed that. Some of them get angry if um, if you mention the cases of Zimbabwe or Venezuela. But if, for example, South Africa were to go down that route now, how, how would it be substantially different from what has happened to Venezuela, I- in your opinion?
1: Well, um, so when referring to Venezuela or Zimbabwe, the issue uh, always comes up with hyperinflation. That is, uh, yeah. uh, inflation that's accelerating out of control, that more than a hundred or a thousand percent a year, we are, we're all familiar with uh, Weimar Germany, et cetera. Um, the The fact of the matter is that these kinds of really extreme hyperinflations pretty much only occur in situations of of economic and social breakdown after wars, of uh, very extreme political crises, and so forth. So, um, short of that, uh, we don't normally see hyper. Uh, inflation. However, we do see very significant problems. Short of that, um, uh, a, a country that's very dependent on imports for important products uh, are getting very serious trouble if the uh, foreign, if their currency devalues substantially relative to the dollar and other currencies. And South Africa um, is one of those one of those countries. Uh, so if there's an attack on the RAND, the South African RAND, because of concerns uh, about excessive deficits or too high inflation, and you can get a downward vicious cycle of d- declining uh, RAND and then inflation and then further declines in the RAND, uh, that is a very tough to, to stop, and that can create major problems. Now, even in the case of South Africa and other countries, there may be more fiscal space for running budget deficits and more space for monetary financing um, than the extreme Austerians uh, and mainstream economists uh, would would propose. However, um, just ignoring those issues, ignoring those constraints, as sometimes MMT seems to suggest, is is also not the right way to go. So many of us who've been working on these issues for a long time um, have... I've done a lot of research on the, the kinds of accompanying policies that are required uh, for a country like South Africa to uh, manage a crisis, expand its economy, reduce unemployment. Um, and they, they often include things like capital controls, preventing hot money from coming in and from leaving the country, very strong financial regulatory controls uh, to prevent um, speculation and uh, capital flight, uh, and a number of associated policies that are really required for a country like South Africa, uh, Mexico, Chile, others, uh, to engage in an expansionary fiscal policy. Um, But for some reason, which uh, it's hard to understand, most MMT scholars have not emphasized these country or regionally specific complementary policies that are required to make an expansionary fiscal and monetary policy work. They've been more focused, I think, and this is a criticism, on just a, asserting that uh, these MMT policies work without recognizing all of the associated policies that are really required in different contexts for them to succeed.
0: Yeah. Do, do you think... Um... Do you think there has been an excessive focus in that respect on MMT as it would potentially work in the United States? And there is, I mean, has anybody done any, uh, or from the MMT side, done any work on, uh, how to make this work, uh, uh in, in a, in a developing market?
1: Um, well, there are some people who have looked into this, uh, a little more carefully than others, Bill Mitchell, who's an, an mm-hmm. economist from Australia has written a bit more about capital controls and other kinds of policies like that. Um, but given the number of MMT uh, economists and followers, uh, it's, it's surprising how little this is studied. Now, um, I think generally, as a general point, what I've, I think it's important to understand that um, MMT, more than anything else, has now become kind of a branch. There are a lot of people arguing for monetary financing of deficits during the Corona crisis, yeah. uh, particularly in in the rich countries, um, from Paul Krugman, uh, even to Kenneth Rogoff, who was an austrian, to, to many others. Um, there's there's a longstanding concept of debt monetization, that is, uh, the federal government or runs deficits, and the the central bank basically buys up the debt, either directly or indirectly. Um, this is what the Federal Reserve did during the Second World War. Um, this is what uh, the Bank of England did during the Second World War, the debt monetization. And that's a, a, a long-standing known way in which uh, government deficits can be financed in certainly in national emergencies. Um, so. Well, pe- people who are arguing for debt monetization now, um, across the economic and political spectrum, in fact, um, uh, the MMT people and their followers say, see, say well, see, that's MMT. <laughs> and um, so MMT is now being used as a shorthand in many discussions in the press and elsewhere uh, for uh, very specific policies that, that have been known for, for many, many years, um, and that don't necessarily entail all of the theoretical arguments and all of the complementary policies that MMT um, ha, has been promoting. Um, it's simply debt monetization. So yes. um, I think it's important to th- to kind of understand the the force of MMT now as a brand, which they've been very effective in promoting. And in, and just to be clear, I think in some ways this has been uh, had some good effects. That is, we're talking about it. A lot of other people are talking about it. You know, is it okay to run budget deficits at a time like this? Is it okay to have monetary financing of of budget deficits at a time like this? Um, So it's good that we're all considering this and talking about it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the whole apparatus of MMT is correct. No.
0: (laughs) No, in fact, um, as you you pointed out, there's, there's a core theoretical Basis to this, and it seemed to me from uh, my reading that the core insight seems to be what is the nature and and proper role of money. That um, they argue that it, money didn't arise to replace primitive barter, but was an invention of government. It was it was created to provision itself, and therefore taxation is is essentially a recycling of that government creation. It, I mean, is that a historical view you would share? And is, is is that now orthodoxy, that that is the historical view?
1: So um, I don't necessarily share this view, though. I'm not a monetary historian um, per se. Yeah. So um, my book really tries to avoid these kinds of deep theoretical historical uh, questions to focus on uh, macroeconomic policy and what's right and what's wrong about MMT with regard to, to macroeconomic policy. From uh, not so much a theoretical perspective, but from a, a practical, policy and political economy perspective. However, let me answer your question. Um, so, this view about the relationship between money and the state, which is an important component of the underlying MMT theory, um, goes back to a, a very old theory called the the state money, uh, the state theory of money. Um, there was a I think a German economist named Knapp. ANAPP, who was among the first people to develop this idea in in, uh, in the 19th century, I believe. Um, And there have been many incarnations of this view. So that's certainly one old uh, view of the the story, uh, the history of money. And in the MMT MMT telling of it, um, the reason why people hold money is because uh, they have to pay taxes. So that the on- so from their perspective, the only function of taxes until we get the full employment is to make sure that people want to um, demand hold on to the uh, sovereign money. Now this focus on money, and this is another critique in, in my book, and other economists have made this critique as well, the focus on money, is really, uh, a, by MMP, um, is really an uh, anachronism. In our modern financial system, which is complex, it's huge, it's global, money uh, is a, is a, only one among uh, many, many assets, and it's not even necessarily the most important asset. Um, the control of money, the function of money, et cetera, Uh, is really, in some ways, increasingly a marginal aspect of our financial system. Now, this seems like just a theoretical um, issue, and in some ways it is, but I think it's also a very practical issue. And let me explain why. Um, If we ignore or don't really place front and center all of the complex financial assets and liabilities, if we don't really focus on the derivatives, the hedge funds, the private equity firms, Um, the global uh, banking structure, et cetera, we miss out several really important components that the MMT people tend to ignore. Uh, One, for example, let's take their argument that we should keep interest rates low permanently. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, the impact that that has had, and we've seen that now with with the recent crisis, is that it can lead to a massive buildup of, speculation, um, complex and, and dangerous debt. Uh, we're talk, I'm talking about junk bonds, corporate debt, hedge fund uh, bets on the financial markets, et cetera. Um, this kind of buildup can lead to massive financial instability, which has really now raised its ugly head when the economy crashed because of the Corona crisis. So now we have central banks, the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, the European Central Bank, um, uh, spending or claiming that they're willing to spend trillions of dollars not to get the economy going, not to put income in the pockets of people who are unemployed, not to protect our health system, but there's, they're spending or promising to spend trillions of dollars to prop up the financial markets. Once again, uh, just 10 years or so after the great financial crisis of 2007-2009, um, why is why is the financial system once again uh, taking this ransom from um, governments and, and central banks um, in order not to, to totally destroy our economies? Uh, well, it's because we didn't sufficiently regulate the financial system um, after the great financial crisis. We kept interest rates extremely low without putting on strong regulations against debt buildup and speculation. Our money's just as sovereign now as it was before. There hasn't been a difference in the nature of our money, uh, which MMT focuses on, but what there has been is this massive expansion and increase in complexity and danger and fragility of our financial system. So the point is, Um, and I argue this in my book, that MMT doesn't um, put enough emphasis on the complementary policies we would need to have a low interest rate, high fiscal deficit policy working without building up massive amounts of problems. These kinds of policies include, as I said, in developing countries, capital controls, financial regulation. In our own country, uh, you need very strong financial regulation to prevent all the credit being created by the Federal Reserve from going into speculation and debt. Um, For some reason, MMT doesn't emphasize this. Now, I don't really understand why, because some of the leading scholars in MMT, for example, Randy Ray, are uh, very uh, well-known and very confident scholars of Hyman Minsky, who made these arguments about financial instability. But Mm -hmm. for some reason, which I don't understand, they don't emphasize this, in their macro policies. And I think because it's, they want to keep their, their policy simple. They're they're trying to, I think, create a brand. Um, You know, we don't have to worry about deficits. Let's just have monetary financing at deficits and let's not muck it up with, you know, what we spend the money on and, um, and lots of uh, financial regulation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The focus seems to be in terms of, uh, their policy response, if there is one at all, it, it, it's that uh, the, you should use basically fiscal policy to fine-tune. So I i would, I would probably share your scepticism about the capacity of fiscal policy, um, or monetary policy for that matter, to react quickly enough and efficiently enough to deal with the kind of inflation that this policy framework could generate. But do you think... Um, uh, in some ways, it, it, would that be so different from what a lot of orthodox economists and policymakers are starting to advocate, which is nominal GDP targeting? So, in other words, uh, you you efficiently map and respond to total spending, public and private, in the economy. Is that seems to me to be what they are advocating on the policy uh, making side?
1: Yes. Well. Um- Let me answer that, but before I do, let me just make clear. I think one of the reasons why we're talking so much about MMT now is not just because they've done a good job of of branding and they have a whole army of bloggers and branders out there, it's because in some ways this is their moment. That is, with the pandemic and the crisis and um, extremely low interest rates, massive unemployment, uh, et cetera, and uh, very low inflation. Um, the, the policies that they have promoted just in terms of spend 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 and monetary finance 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 um, is probably the right policy for a rich country um, yeah. uh, and it would be a good policy for poor countries too if they could get support from the imF and the world community to give them hard currency dollars etc so um i'm not saying that they're that uh, that we should we should have austerity or cut back on on government spending at a time like this, uh, we should target the spending correctly, which they're not doing, etc. So, just to just to be clear on that. Uh, but the the broader point you're making is yes, I think we have a con, a, a growing consensus among different perspectives uh, on fiscal expenditure, um, financial and monetary targeting, etc., which has emerged prior even to the pandemic. That is, it came out of the Great Financial Crisis when we see uh, economists from um, who have been very mainstream, like Olivier Blanchard uh, and others, um, uh, Jason Furman and Larry Summers and Paul Krugman and others, um, who uh, I said, look, the, something about the global macro economy has really changed. Inflation is extremely low. Global interest rates are extremely low. Um, yet the economy is stagnating, it's not growing rapidly. So uh, yes, the the fiscal side can do a lot more than we thought it could and has to do a lot more because um, the central banks have already uh, done a lot. Perhaps they've done as much as they can, so it's time for fiscal policies to step in. So that consensus was starting to emerge even before the pandemic. And now with the pandemic, um, it's become even more universal. So, in, so s- some of the MMT proposals have really dovetailed with the with the proposals um, that have come from other Keynesian economists and even mainstream economists.
0: Yeah, I mean, as you as you said, uh, I, or you, you certainly implied, if if MMT MMT were capable of working anywhere, it it would probably be a big developed economy like the United States. But as you also suggested, even with the exorbitant privilege of the dollar, um, that is limited by the emergence of alternative global currencies like the euro, uh, eventually the renminbi perhaps. This sort of reminds me of a classic Marxist or Trotskyist argument that socialism in one country can never work, that that MMT will only work if every country is every major country is doing it do, do, do you ever get that that same kind of sense
1: well i um <laughs> i've learned a lot from Karl marx's uh teachings and um so i i'm a, a big fan of a lot of his work but um as marx himself said i'm uh, <laughs> not a marxist um uh but uh that's not exactly what i'm saying so, but, but, th- but what I am saying is that, yes, the United States, particularly with the, the, um, the key role of the dollar, uh, it does get an exorbitant privilege. We can borrow cheaply when there's an economic global economic crisis, um, money fl- floods into the United States, our interest rates go, go down instead of going up. Uh, we can refinance our debt anytime we want at low interest rates. Um, so we do have an exorbitant privilege, uh, what I'm saying, what I, uh, Randy Ray, um, an advocate of M, one of the key advocates of MMP says that, well, and we're going to have this exorbitant privilege, uh, indefinitely into the future. So it's not anything to worry about. And what I argue in my book is that, um, the world is trending towards a multi currency system, not a hegemonic dollar system but increasingly to a multi-currency system, as you suggested, Uh, Mm. with the the Chinese uh, renminbi um, playing a bigger role with the Japanese yen, the euro, uh, possibly, if if Europeans can get their act together. And in a world of a multi-currency system, the uh, stability and the power of the dollar uh, begins to have some more limits on it. Um, So in that world, it becomes somewhat more risky for the U.S. to Uh, exploit its exorbitant privilege indefinitely and without limit, which suggests to me that there are risks, not now because of the crisis, but in normal times, there are risks uh, for the United States to exploit this, this privilege without thinking about uh, the Possible future costs or risks, and for that reason alone, but there are many others, uh, it does matter um, what the U. What the government spends the money on. Uh, that's the first lesson. And the second, uh, we can't assume this this uh, privilege will be will last indefinitely. So um, it's not that the whole world has to. Uh, we don't. It's not that we have to move to a global currency like Keynes argued for. Keynes argued for. Um, a global currency, uh, the bank or he called it, uh, have the whole world um, uh, reach full employment at the same time. Well, we we have a privilege. The United States, to some extent, Europe, et cetera, have privileges where we can do quite well without that going to that point. What is true, though, is that developing countries are in a much worse situation. And that is becoming so clear now with the crisis. Um, they're running up debts. They need debt relief. They need to be able to um, have access to dollars in order to import needed materials and goods. Um, so they uh, are really in trouble. And so from a Marxist or Trotskyist or even a Keynesian perspective, yeah, it would be very helpful if we had um, a, a global currency that developing countries had an access had access to. And um Short of that, uh, um, debt relief, vast expansion of this SDR, the IMF Special Drawing Rights, allocated to developing countries, all of these are really going to be necessary uh, to prevent a, a calamity, I think, in many developing countries.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I'd like to finish by just asking you what uh, book you're working on now and when we can expect to uh, to read that.
1: Well, um, the book I'm working on now is... Uh, It's called the Bankers Club, and um, it's uh, a political economy historical analysis uh, that tries to help us understand why, despite uh, one massive financial crisis caused by the bankers, um, the 2007-2009 crisis, and now a second crisis exacerbated by the bankers. By bankers, I mean the whole financial system, why is it that they are still so powerful? Um, Why haven't governments, and I'm focused mostly on the United States, brought the bankers under control, created an alternative and better financial system where uh, we don't have uh, these crises and problems created every decade or so by the financial system. So it's trying to understand the source of the banker's power which uh, includes their control over credit, but in- includes very important political actors, the bankers themselves, economists, the Federal Reserve, lawyers, and others that have, that have helped maintain this, the political power of uh, the banking and financial system.
0: Right. And, and how's, how soon do you expect to finish that?
1: <laughs> um, no well, pressure. I'm, I'm hoping to, to have it come out the, in twenty twenty one if uh if right. I'm lucky. Okay.
0: Well, it should be well timed. Uh well thank you again. And to remind listeners, we've been discussing what's wrong with modern money theory, a policy critique by Gerald Epstein, published by Paul Greve Macmillan. Jerry,
1: thank you. Thank you, Tim. Thank you very much.